Many entrepreneurs have an eidetic ability to see a way forward in real time. It's an instinct developed through consistency, focus, and determination, 24-7, 365 days a year, or 8,760 hours, year over year. 8760 seeks to shed light on how leaders build businesses and brands when clarity of the future is defined solely by a cipher of their minds. Today's guest is Pete Tucci, founder and CEO of Tucci Limited, baseball's next evolution in batter's equipment and protective gear. Welcome, Pete. Today's our first 8760 podcast, so we're honored to have you as our guest. I appreciate it. I'm honored to be here. <laughs> so we were just talking a little bit about it, but let's talk about it again. The World Series, playoffs. Is it, You got a horse in the race? What's going on? a horse in the race, yeah. Tommy Pham with the Diamondbacks. So I uh, actually went to Philly's game earlier in the series and crowd there's like just electric so uh but it's enticing as it was to root for the uh you know root for the phillies i i kind of had a kind of pull for our dog so uh so yeah so he's in a world series so it's exciting to at least you know kind of be in the mix like as you kind of start the season and all the way through to the to the last game so Nice to know that we'll be there. You go? Are you going to World Series? I probably won't go. No. 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 Could you have? Uh, yeah, I'm sure I could have. But, uh, awesome. Could have swung. Yeah, if it was like the swung Blue Jays or like right. one of our bigger teams, I, you know, where we had multiple guys, I'd probably be there. But yeah, yeah, I probably you, won't make. Do it you have a, a true horse, or have you kind of gone just as as a generalized fan? Now that you know you have so so many relationships across yeah. the MLB. So I grew up a Yankee fan. Mm-hmm. Um, still consider myself a Yankee fan, but uh, this business has kind of messed with, I should say, the, the fan in me, you know, because... Well, there's the lines know, a little uh, bit. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> it's kind of tough, right? So I grew up hating the Red Sox, and to this day, one of the best organizations that we deal with from a business standpoint. So love the people there I, I, I work with and um, kind of tough to root against them now, you know, so I find myself kind of pulling for them and uh, especially like if a team is playing against the Yankees and we got more guys in the lineup on that team, it's really hard to root against them. So it's right. kind of blurred the lines uh, a lot, but um, I just like to think of myself as more of a baseball fan now than, mm-hmm. than a typical Yankee fan. But I, you know, at the end of the day, I still consider myself a Yankee fan. Something you mentioned, you know, sort of the, you appreciate them as a business and they've been great to kind of work with. Um, how has your perspective of, the business changed obviously you know yourself as a player um growing up with the sport and the system and you know sort of from that perspective and then now that you're dealing with organizations at a different from a different place you know how has that changed your view on the business of of baseball maybe it necessarily yeah i don't know if it necessarily changed it i kind of felt uh as a player i kind of felt that business aspect of it right away um so you kind of see that and and you're you know, my time in the minor leagues as a player, you kind of feel that on a daily basis. So um, you're constantly trying to play the business, but at the same time, there's a certain humanity aspect to it, right? And mm-hmm. and, and a personalization to it with teammates and, and that kind of stuff. And now on this side of the business, um, being like product driven, and but there's still a humanity aspect to it where, you know, build the relationships with certain clubhouse managers and you know, certain people in the organization, players themselves and that kind of stuff. So, um, and then even from like competitors, right? Other back companies and I have great relationships with most of the back companies out there. So um, there's that same kind of aspect where, yeah, like, you know, when you're a minor league player and everybody's got that one goal trying to get to the big leagues and um, 
you know, it's between you and somebody else getting moved up to the next level. But at the same time, you're still pulling for that guy, right? It, mm-hmm. uh, there's that human aspect to it again that, like, you can't it, – it's really hard to sit and root against somebody who you're in a fight with every day on the same side, even though you know on paper you're competing against that guy, right? And he's yeah. got a locker right next to you. So um, it's very similar, like, into, into what I'm doing now. So I don't think my opinion's really changed on that. Um, maybe, you're kinda, not, maybe you're not rooting for your – competitors as much as you were when you were playing yeah probably <laughs> probably right about that yeah so uh you know there, there's always still that friendly rivalry you know mm. between you know companies and that kind of stuff but I, I think my life in as a player has prepared me a lot for how to approach this business this is what you say i don't even know if you know this but the about section in your linkedin profile says through my career of playing professional baseball i've learned firsthand what players look for in a bat and what they expect out of a bat company, right? So I think that speaks to the humanity part that you're just yeah. talking about, which is like, hey, these are guys who are just trying to do a job and do it well. Yeah. I want to make sure they have great equipment. I know what it means. I know what it takes. Yeah. So it's not even on the, uh, say, the, the physical equipment side all the time. It's how, what service can you provide them to, right? So it's not only how well the bat can we make, it's how can I help you in your career, right? How can I take what I've been through as a player and now – combine that with the experience I've had as a bat manufacturer to help make you a better player and help you further along in your career and and get the most out of it, right? And so whether that's suggestions on changing bat models and listen, I I didn't know, you know, a tenth of what I know now or, you know, as far as the bats, right? I knew what I liked as a player, but there's a manufacturing aspect to it of what makes a better bat, what makes it more durable, um, so many different ways to change a balance point in a bat without even changing the profile, right? Changing the profile is one way to do it. But, um, you know, and so many of these guys are so accustomed to like that drop three, you know, like when you're coming from college or from high school and you're, you know, that is so ingrained in their head that, I mean, we talk to guys who've been in the big leagues for eight, nine, 10 years, and they're like, oh, no, no, I have to swing a drop three. <laughs> but it really makes no difference based on where that weight in the bat could be, right? And so, trying to kind of educate these guys a little bit on the manufacturing side to help them maybe choose a better bat for them yeah. and, and, and fit them out better. I love, know. I love your video with, uh, with Bo Bichette and, and you're yeah. like, well, you, my dad said to swing this one, right? So, it's, <laughs> so, so it's, right. you know, and you get that a lot, right? It's yeah. like you get handed a bat one day, like, you know, Derek Jeter, right. Always talks about, you know, notorious for swinging a P72, which is a Louisville model that's been on the market for 40 years. And it was his first day. He was, you know, showed up to minor leagues after he signed his contract and it was the first bat he picked up and literally used that bat to get into the hall of fame never changed once like never even tried anything else so um some guys you know hey if it works don't change like i wouldn't either but at the same time there's so many different variations that that we can make right well i think that, that was interesting about that. the conversation with him too it's just like i mean how you tweak the bat to be perfect and specific for his swing that was pretty cool yeah Yeah. so um you know and there's you know now with all the data metrics and all that kind of stuff no that's been from the start of my business you know when i first got into it back in 2010 is when i started but really 2012 is when i kind of went into it as a full-time occupation from that point until now like the introduction of like the data metrics and then how you know guys you know originally started how guys using it for their swing but now it's like how can we extrapolate that data to then help fit a guy's swing better so you don't have to think so much about your swing, right? If there's a correction you can make in bat path, 
there's a way we might be able to do that on our end where, hey, you just get up there and swing, take your natural swing, and we can manipulate the bat to kind of get you on plane more, right? And so now it's a lot more than just, you know, think about 30, 40 years ago, Louisville Slugger putting a piece of wood on a, on a lathe, turning it and dipping it in polyurethane and sending it out the door, right? There's so much more that goes into it now. Yeah, it's crazy. And th- is that something that you're seeing sort of as generations are more accustomed to the prevalence of metrics and data that they're asking more proactively about? Or is it still something that you know, you're, you're educating sort of what you can do? I think do we're educating them. what we can do because mm-hmm. – and honestly, I don't even think the players think about that end of it. I still think they think about the data more so on their um, physical side, right? What they need mm-hmm. to change about their swing. What, you know, how can they change what they're doing to get their their metrics better? So, um, was that something that? So this maybe is something we're little... trying to introduce more on. Like, okay, we can use this data, so you don't have to think so much. And were you more custom or more in tune with? Like equipment or performance yeah, when you were playing? When I played, yeah. Um, I would have been all over this stuff mm-hmm. back when I played. And guys are still, I mean, there's still guys who um, kind of have their heels dug in on it, right? Yeah. And, and kind of like the old traditional way of, you know, I would have been all over this as a player. Um, if you could tell me exactly what I'm doing and, and I could look at it and then put that up against the best in the game and see – all right, let me see the sequence, like when their hands go, you know, when their hips fire to when their shoulder fires, mm-hmm. when their hands fire to when the barrel is actually released. Um, I would have been all over that. Some right? of, the, so some it, of yeah. the guys still don't like doing it. Mm-hmm. And on our end now, it's about knowing that player, like knowing the guy and who you can go down that road with and who, you know, will just kind of keep it a little bit more vanilla with, you know. Where do you think that your personal interest in, you know, more of the – data and you know sort of the, the the performance aspect of it is rooted from i just think my overall seeking of like the perfect swing or the you know mm. whether you know and i and, and i don't believe and I, we talk about that before <laughs> right. i came on the air here but i don't believe there's a perfect swing for you know like across the board i think there are some uh aspects of the swing that kind of you have to hit mm-hmm and bat path to me being being the main one um but i think it's different for each player but f- f- within that player how could i maximize what i'm doing right and that's as a player that's all i was ever trying to do i, I wanted to leave no stone unturned and i was going to do everything i could as a player to be successful did that happen for me no i ended up you know ultimately failing at what i tried to do and it's funny i think there was another i don't know if it was on another pack podcast i was on or was in another interview it's funny because I, I wake up every day kind of accepting the fact that I'm a failure, right? I failed at what I set out to do in my life for for a period of time between probably, I'd say realistically when I was 10, that's what I, I knew, yeah. like I want to be a professional baseball player. Um, and kind of that dream seemed like it was going to become a reality and first round draft pick and uh, you know organizational player of the year in the minor leagues and finishing top three in voting and minor league player of the year and all of a sudden, get an injury. Things kind of change. Now, all of a sudden, swing patterns change, and and now I can't put my finger on what's going on. Mm-hmm. Bang around for another three years, and and all, you know, all, all of a sudden, I'm out of the game now, right? And so, I, I feel like what I set out to do, I ultimately failed on, right? I didn't I didn't accomplish my goal. I, I you know, no, like, no, I, I mean, a lot of like, people, you know, there's elements outside of your control, right? But but the 
the the personalization, right, the accountability of it seems to be part of what drives you and what you are doing now is that this new chapter, there seems to be a fire lit because of your perspective on your your earlier yeah. chapter. Yeah. And I do think, you know, maybe they're, you know, in some kind of destined way, maybe that was the way it was supposed to, you know, Mm-hmm. That's the way my book was supposed to be written, right? And and it was to lead me into what I'm doing now and whether that's helping other people to, you know, achieve their dreams, you know, achieve their dreams or, um, you know, but just trying to take what I've been through and apply that to what I'm doing now and, and hopefully uh, create a better product. And, and I think that's part of, you know, what we wanted to get to with this podcast, right, is that we we know that often people talk about you know what's your why and you know why do people do things why do people start businesses what's you know really kind of driving them um we believe that that's certainly an important aspect of what gets you up and fired up you know to to go on the field or to you know sit down in the boardroom right um but part of it we believe true success comes from the will to to actually see it through, right? And the 8760 name is really, you know, it's the number of hours in a year and it's the understanding that when there's passion, when there's focus, when there's a, a vision, it's it's longer than, you know, our weeks or our days and it's years upon years yep. of, of hard work. Um, and it, it feels like there was personal ambition to compete and there was a drive, but everything that you've sort of said beyond that is you wanted to have a bigger impact and, you know, your impact through education, performance improvements in technology is having a bigger impact on the sport, arguably than potentially the individual legacy that you, we all kind of crave, right. And into, in, in a certain extent. Yeah, I see that. I hope, I hope that's the case when everything's all said it's, and done. I, I hope I, like I hope I'm able to leave a legacy bigger than what I ever could have done as a player. And uh, I mean, now that's the new goal. You know, Pete, I, I, you know, we spent that. I think it helped you down in spring training that year. Yes. Hold the clipboard, <laughs> write down numbers, right? Um, <laughs> that was fun. That was the best time I ever had. Um, but it, I, I saw the relationship that you had with players just because they, they knew you, they recognized yeah. you. Like, oh, Pete, hey, they, listen, I think you didn't have that experience probably wouldn't happen, right? You couldn't have just been some guy that decided to make bats in his garage and then just be like, hey, you want to buy one? Most companies, you know, most companies yeah. are. You know, right. Most companies are, are in that boat. There's not a lot of companies that were ex-players and had that experience and can kind of speak on the same experiences that you know what these guys are currently going through. So, And, and they knew your name, right? And now, hey, listen, it's the name on the, on the bat now, yeah. right? It's, that says something. For sure. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. Listen, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take you back to that for a second. I, oh, I remember that. Do you remember this? This is oh my God. I haven't seen one of these in so long. <laughs> so that, well, that is an original. That was, I remember pulling it out of the back of your minivan that day. And the look on your face was like, Oh, that's money. You're pulling out of my van. <laughs> and I'm like, Hey, Hojo, can you sign one of these for me? And he's like, sure. No problem. You're like, Oh my God, that's $200. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that original logo, yeah. like, yeah, we I don't even have any more of those decals left. So right. it's funny. Like oh, I haven't go. seen, one's worth I haven't money, seen one, uh, in a long time where, um, so for people who don't know, 
where it says Tucci Lumber Company, that was only on there for like literally a couple months. And uh, we kind of got a little slap on the wrist for it. Uh, so when we got first MLB approved, this was the logo we hit the market with. And uh, once we started seeing the spring training games on TV and as the season started, we weren't maximizing our space that we're allowed mm. to, to, to take up on the bat. So against the rules of Major League Baseball, we changed, you know, we, we kept the same logo, but we got rid of the Tucci Lumber Company going through it, dropped that to the bottom and shrunk it and made the TL much bigger. So it was much more prominent on TV. And we did uh, kind of get a little slap on the wrist at the time. <laughs> but we, we felt it was important to push the envelope and ultimately worked out in our favor. Uh, but yeah, so that was like a small snippet in time. I want to say it was like a, about a two month period that we used those decals on that, and that yeah. logo. So this is a classic. Then I didn't <laughs> even know. Funny about that is I still deal with Hojo today. Well, I was oh. just down with him. Um, him and his son have an academy in Nashville, Tennessee, yeah. and uh, they have about seventeen teams out of there. And uh, just kind of rebrand. You know, now that Hojo got inducted to the Mets Hall of Fame this year, yeah. rebranded it all under the Hojo name, and and uh, and so we just inked to deal with those guys, and so now they're all Tucci with our new new bats, new helmets, uh, obviously the wood bats. So it's kind of pretty cool too, yeah. um, you know. And and Matt Hojo, he was a roving hitting instructor at the time when I was kind yeah. of on the down turn of my career and ended up with the Mets. And, uh, and he was our roving hitting instructor when I was there. So that's where we first met. And then funny how kind of things come full circle. Isn't it funny? Yeah. yeah. But uh, that, that's actually, you know, it's funny. We, I, I remember that the moment you got your first order. Do you remember that? Gabby Sanchez. Gabby yeah. Sanchez, right? And so I remember thinking like, all right, he's got his first order. Like, what's this going to be like? And in, in the, the, the clubby writes on the corner of a piece of paper and rips it off the pad and hands it to you and said, here you go. So, <laughs> so I don't know if you remember that, but before that, we, we actually, we, one of the players, Logan Morrison, ordered bats so right. he was like you know I, I love this bat it feels great can i get 12 so okay so he, he went in talked to the clubby with the marlins at the time clubby comes out and he was great guy uh, to this day I, I love the guy and he's great to work with but he was one of those original guys that were like i've never heard of you like who do you think you are you know i've been doing this for 40 years and you know i don't think he was too keen on all like that <laughs> the popularity of all these new bat companies kind of popping up but so he comes storming out of the clubhouse he said i don't know who you think you are but these guys are not ordering bats you know just because you give them one sample you know you got to send you got to send him his custom model and this and that. i said okay no problem i'll send it to him and then 20 minutes later he comes out with an order for gabby sanchez <laughs> but he never placed the order for logan morrison at that time which was pretty funny but yeah. we ended up getting them later in the year which was good but Oh, I remember the price negotiation going on then too. It's like, oh God. Yeah, you think I'd have been a little bit more prepared as I looked at. I mean, I was yeah. so shooting from the hip at the time, and uh, he was like, you know, how much are they? And I, I had no idea what to tell me. I knew mm -hmm. what our retail price was, but I hadn't even come up with an MLB kind of price structure. So I was kind of like feeling them out to see like where we were on the market and kind of settled on a price at the time, and and uh, it all ended up working out. But yeah, a lot there's a lot of shooting it from the hip. Um, in those days, in all honesty, I probably would never would even gotten into the business had I wouldn't been shooting from Fast the hip. Fast forward to now, it just, yeah. Yeah, one. it was, uh, I think, being a little green behind the ears, so to speak, helped me out in a way that if I knew how tough things would have got, you know, and the hurdles I would have to overcome. And um, I would have looked to go into something else at that time, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, but it all kind of worked out. And, and uh, like I said, I think kind of just, not knowing and just going, just going for broke with passion, uh, kind of all worked out in the end. So in that time when you realized sort of the, the injury was going to prevent you from 
achieving the dream that you had set out. Um, I know you were kind of came back and you were working with your uh, brother-in-law at the time, right? Um, when that was a part of your life, were you still gravitated back to trying to figure out how you were going to get back to baseball or did you really pocket that? Yeah, I kind of pocketed it. In all honesty, there was about a five-year period where I almost stayed clear of baseball like completely. I couldn't watch it on TV. Uh, I would almost get like sick to my stomach every year February would roll around because it just felt like I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be in spring training mm-hmm. right now, right? Like I'm not supposed to be here. And um, so I kind of got into this like real like kind of almost depression for, you know, six weeks, you know, from February till the end of March. And then once the season would start, I'd kind of get over it. But I still wouldn't watch games on TV for the most part. It's just we were talking about that. Couldn't really do it. <laughs> um, so the thought of getting back into it, um, it, it probably it took a good five years to just get over the fact. Uh, again, it was a lifelong dream that like mm-hmm. every decision I had made was geared towards how is this going to help me get get to Major League Baseball. Yeah. Um, and so it was like this bad breakup that like you know. Yeah. Burning pictures, kind of a thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, like right. you're just trying to like erase that memory. <laughs> And uh, ultimately couldn't. And, and my wife was the one who finally came to me and said, you've kind of like you've changed, you know, your passion for life has changed since since you gotten out of baseball and, you know, kind of did, you know, distance myself, not necessarily from her, but just in life, just kind of, you know, didn't have the same passion. wasn't mm-hmm. didn't really feel I was doing what I was meant to do. And even though I loved every day I worked with my brother-in-law, we had a blast doing it. And it was really cool because um, it was something different, right? I'd, I'd never worked with my hands before other than playing baseball, mm-hmm. right? I was, that, I was that kid who's, you know, my dad was the coach and was like, don't go swimming a half hour before a game. Don't, you know, <laughs> don't go skiing because you might get hurt. Like it was everything was like to, you know, prevent a possible injury. Or So I never worked a saw in my mm-hmm. life, never, you know, like any of that kind of stuff. It just never happened. So when I went to work with my brother-in-law, it really was the first opportunity to start working with my hands and, you know, we're installing boilers and, you know, uh, kind of owning and operating this heating and air conditioning company. And for the first time in my life, like I said, it gave me an opportunity to work with my hands and had it not been for that period in my life, never would have been able to kind of take what I knew from baseball and actually physically make a bat. So like a lot of what I learned with him uh, and in those, you know, we did that for seven years um, in that time period, uh, really applied a lot of what I know now to kind of getting the bat business up, up you know, yeah. uh, off the ground, right? So like piping and like all that stuff. Like I, on any given day, if I'm if I'm in the shop and a, and a machine breaks down, I'm typically the one that troubleshoots it and, and and can kind of break everything down, rebuild it back up, and that all came from from him and, and learning how to troubleshoot, uh, you know, a, a motor or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So. A lot of the knowledge I picked up from him, it, it's kind of weird how my life turned out, but I kind of needed both to happen, right? I needed the the baseball part of my life to happen. And then I needed that kind of blue collar in a basement, mm-hmm. uh, you know, spending, you know, 14 hours, you know, getting somebody's heat back on because they're boiler cracked, right? right? And, yeah. and, um, and now kind of applying all that to kind of what ultimately helped me start this business. That was something that, you know, we we were wondering, right, is how how that transition happened from uh, finely tuned athlete 
to looking at a piece of lumber and saying, I, I could. He's still. Can, a, he's, still a fine, he's still. He's still. Oh, too right. Enough. No, right. <laughs> yes. yes, yes. <laughs> uh, because they do. They feel. They feel quite. Quite different, right? And yeah, it's not. It's, the, it's a lot different. The oh. traditional path that you expect to. You see a lot of athletes that are. Their way to stay toward close to the game is to coach or to yeah. commentate or, or things like that. So when I, uh, when my wife first came to me with, you know, this kind of idea of like, you need to find a way back into baseball because you've kind of lost something in your life mm -hmm. and, and you're just, you're a different man than the man I married. Um, her first thought was, you know, you ever thought about coaching, you ever thought about doing lessons, but you know, again, we were married, we had kids at this point and my idea was, you know, a lot of those lessons don't start until the kids are out of school and yeah. they go until 10, 11 o'clock at night. And my kids were young and I wanted to watch them grow up. I wanted to be with them. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to spend, you know, as much as I love hitting and, and, and talking about hitting and, and teaching hitting, didn't necessarily want that for my life to, to kind of my work day start at 3 p.m. and go until 10, 11 o'clock mm -hmm. at night. And, you know, by the time I get home, my kids are in bed and then, you know, I'm home all day and they're in school, right? right. So couldn't really see myself doing that and at that time we were still you know owning and you know operating this this business it mm -hmm. wasn't you know something that I felt I could do both at the time right like I was physically in someone's basement or in their attic and their heat, heating and air conditioning back on so um it's kind of tough and so that's when she said have you ever thought about making bats because you're the pickiest I can't say what she's <laughs> <laughs> uh you know she said you were just really picky about it and, and were very opinionated and my answer to her was just because I was picky and opinionated about it doesn't mean I know how to do it yeah right, right like, I don't right. I don't know the first thing about making a bet and then she kind of went down this road at the time I didn't know and started researching it and and she was the one who ended up buying the first lathe and like you know contacted a wood mill and about two, three weeks later, this, you know, I, I get home from work and these, all these boxes in the driveway and happy birthday. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I yeah. think she spent about, you know, maybe three grand or four grand on, on a lathe and some wood. And she said, try it, mm -hmm. you know, like maybe you'll like it. And it just, just as a way to you get back to the baseball. Yeah. And so it kind of, uh, it was kind of nice. Like that first six months, I'd say, cause I, I would go to work all day, come home and, and uh, it's fun that that first night I set it all up. Actually, made one bat. It took me about three hours to make, and it actually resembled a bat. Like not, it didn't look like <laughs> yeah, yeah, it didn't look yeah, like yeah. what like a typical like high school kid would make in like wood shop. Yeah, right? Right, So like right. I was able to take what was in my mind and actually produce something that like looked like something that I would have used as a professional player. So I was kind of impressed with myself at that time and showed it to a few people. And and literally like the next day, I had guys saying how much, you know, mm -hmm. and again, kind of shoot from the hip. I said, I don't know, give me 75 bucks and started making bats like that. Now at this time, this is before all CNC, you know, before I had any CNC machinery, just all doing it by hand. And and I think, again, I think like the steps that have kind of led all up to this, learning to do it by hand kind of really led, I, I think I needed that portion of it as well. I don't think it, I don't think I would have been able to do what I do had I just gone straight to CNC and mm -hmm. kind of being able to do it um, you know, with different points and measurements and, and that kind of stuff and learning the, like the old traditional way of doing it kind of then lended again into once we got into like CNC machinery, but, um, but yeah, so it, uh, you know, kind of th those, those nights of like sitting there and, and kind of going into my garage and kind of making these bats, 
was like really therapeutic, right? It was, mm -hmm. and I think ultimately is what got me out of the funk I was in from not making it in Major League Baseball, right? And that kind of, um, it's probably the best therapy I've ever had. And just being alone in my thoughts and wood and creating a bunch of sawdust um, kind of helped and, and, and eventually got to a point where I said, all right, yeah, I think I want to. I think I want to do this, you know, as a business. So we, did, I did set up an LLC at that point. Uh, but again, this was still only like a relatively small, mm -hmm. like side business kind of hobby, and never was really intended, you know, because we were having some success in the heating and air conditioning business. I just built a new house, and uh, you know, we were we were doing all right. And then my brother-in-law uh, one Saturday, just thirty-eight years old, and went to his bedroom and never came out. And, you know, I had, had a heart attack and kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things at that period in time that, you know, the old saying, life is too short and it mm -hmm. really is, right? It's it's too short to not do what, you know, you, you want to do and kind of felt at that point, if I had to put all the chips on the table on, on, on one thing, it was going to be in baseball and not in heat and air conditioning, right? Mm -hmm. That was that was kind of his baby and I was along for the ride and yeah. he taught me a lot. Um, and again, I mean, we had a blast doing it just because we would laugh our asses off every day we mm -hmm. went to work. But, um, but then, you know, now it was like, all right, what, how do, where do I see myself being successful? And um, that's where, you know, again, if I had to kind of bet on myself in any area, that's, that's where I'd bet on myself. So that's a, maybe that's the answer, right? But going into that transition you know, what was the, what was the thing or what were the things that, that you sort of relied on and say, this is, this is going to be it, right? I'm going to put, put all the, all of the chips in and I'm going to go for it. Um, my wife's support probably like number one, right? Like mm -hmm. it's so from the second I told her, this is what I want to do. She was just like, okay, didn't bad an eye. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, like, I put her in some very precarious situations financially just over the years of, again, I, I, you know, we had this solid foundation of, you know, okay, we're making money, we're doing okay, we're paying the bills, we have a nice house. Um, and then, like, hey, we sold it. Like, yeah, we had a little bit of money now at that point. But there's a couple, you know, when I look back, there's there's some regrets I have on, on how I did things. But, again, I just kind of shot from the hip again and took all that money and put it all into the bad business. So I felt good about myself because I owned everything outright and didn't have mm -hmm. any loans on anything, but at the same time had no cash coming in. We were very limited in cash now in the bank. Um, so there were some lean years there where we're just scraping by to make our mortgage. And, um, you know, it, it was tough and she stuck by me like, you know, the whole time. So I think without her support from the get go, it never, never would have gotten off the ground. When you kind of go back to playing days and prep and, you know, how you would get mentally prepared and focused. And I think you said even, you know, what time from the time you were 10 years old, you're like, I'm going to be a professional baseball player. That laser sort of focus, did that play a role in, in how you were able to to start to focus from yeah, I think uh, this so. new venture. Yeah, because I think once I kind of flipped that switch in my brain, then it was then it was that laser focus on okay, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to make this happen, right? Like it's I'm not going to leave failure up to to chance this time, right? And so um, 
kind of saying, you know, like either way, like somehow or another, I'm going to make this work. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, looking back, we kind of did it. We did things differently than most companies. Most companies kind of create this like local groundswell and do pretty good and expand. And, and you know, they may be in business for five, six, seven years before they even attempt, if ever, to go to Major League Baseball. We had literally made bats for... I don't know, 50 little leaguers in Norwalk (laughs) (laughs) and showed up at, you know, the Yankees doorstep and spring training, like Mm -hmm. after getting our MLB approval. So, um, yeah, like it was just like right out of the gate, like I'm going to sink or swim and and we're going to find out right away if if what I think is a is a major league quality product actually is. What made you uh, go right there? couple things. My, my initial thought was I still had contacts in Major League Baseball. So it was like, all right. And that's why it was important to put my name on the back. Because mm-hmm. if they saw it and like, hey, I played it with a guy, Tucci, and you know, I wonder if it's the same guy. Looking back, that kind of wasn't the best thing. Um, so I had a couple of uh, close friends, one, one of which, if he sees this, probably going to laugh at it. But, uh, so John McDonald was my college roommate at Providence College and, uh, you know, drafted by the Indians and went on to a 16-year career in the big leagues. So he's kind of towards, let's say, the, towards the end of his career at this point. At that you know, point. And, and uh, so uh, this is right before we got MLB approved, and I ran into him at a, at a trade show that we were at in at Mohegan Sun. He's like, Tooch, oh my God, what are you doing? Like, this is great. You know, I didn't know you were doing this. So, well, I've been meaning to kind of reach out to you. I'd love to send you some bats and see what you think. And he's like, yeah, all right, yeah, I would love to try them. I said, what model do you use? He's like, ah, I really don't remember. I'm like, all right, that's odd. I can tell you every bat I think I've ever used since the time I was in Little League, but kind of odd that a major league player can't remember what model he uses. I said, well, what size? He's like, ah, I really don't remember. And I'm like, all right, something's up here. So I really didn't press the issue. Uh, few days later, uh, we had a mutual friend who he had from high school, and now I have met afterwards, now like kind of being back in the baseball world and making bats and kind of ran into a guy who owned a sports store up in like East Lime, Connecticut. And he was like, what's up with your boy Mac? I said, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, he said, you know, he told me you're make, you know, making bats. Like, yeah, you know, I, I saw we had talked about it. You know, are you going to use them this year? And he's like, ah, I'm afraid to try them. What if I don't like them? How am I, how am I going to tell them that? And I kind of appreciated that. Like I, I could, I could see that. Other okay. people I told the story to was like, I can't believe he would do that. But I, I, I can as mm-hmm. as an ex player, I could see where he would, you know, that that kind of puts him like in the middle of this. You know, here's my real good friend. He's making a product. It could really yeah, hinder my, <laughs> yeah, <right>. my livelihood, <laughs> right? So, uh, so I did. I, I kind of made a point at that. You know, now it, the ball is already in motion. We already kind of MLB approved or, or in the process of getting MLB approved at that time. So, um, but I kind of pivoted and said, you know, I'm not going to go to anybody I know. Um, I'm not going to go to anyone I know as, as a personal friend or even as knew me as a player. I made it a point to go to guys who didn't know me as anything other than this new bat company on the market. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and we've ended up finding success with that. Mm-hmm. We ended up year one, we had 55 guys in the big leagues and uh, five of which were in the World Series that year, and two of those bats ended up in the Hall of Fame in year one. This was year one mm-hmm. in the big league. So, like, we hit the ground running with, like, MLB. And then the next year, Johnny Mack started using our bats, and my buddy Mark DeRosa started using our bats. And it was funny when when I kind of – I didn't approach DeRosa at all in mm-hmm. 2012. And then 2013, 
He was like, oh, why, why did you come see me last year? I said, you know what? You wouldn't have used them last year. It, it, it would have been funny. There had to be some credibility behind it yeah. before going to guys I know and, and that kind of stuff. So, But that was ultimately my, my original reason for going that route was, um, you know, I had some contacts there. The other was, uh, you know, because we, we did get some pushback from some MLB clubbies at the time that were saying, listen, why don't you go pedal your bats on minor leaguers? Like, why are you – trying to, you know, get major league guys right out of the gate. And I knew this firsthand. Minor league guys don't want to use what major league guys aren't using. And major league guys are more confident in themselves to say, I like this product or I don't like this product. Minor league guy gets to take that product and hit, you know, five balls out in BP. Mm-hmm. But if they don't see guys on TV using it, it's like that's it's a hard sell. Where a major league guy, you can sit there and say, you know what, I like this product. They have more confidence in themselves. So – Knowing that, that was a big reason for me to kind of go the other – like I didn't approach any minor leaguers. Like we're all MLB year one. Yeah. And then we started kind of branching out and getting minor leaguers and, and that kind of stuff. But So those two reasons were like the biggest reasons, Barry. We kind of well, started we our about earlier game. too. Uh, the, uh, baseball players are a little superstitious sometimes, yeah? Yeah, right. so, I mean, so we deal yeah. with that every day. <laughs> right. <laughs> They've got three brands in their bag because of what you know, whoever, whatever. They're, they're on a streak, so they keep using the bat. And then they're like, I can't hit this week, so i got to switch bats, right? <laughs> so uh, I'll give you another story. Yeah. So year one um, – Mark Teixeira signed with the Yankees and I think was living in Greenwich mm. and was working out of Bobby Valentine's batting cage in Stanford. So a buddy of mine worked there. was like, hey, Teixeira comes in every day. Uh, he's hitting. He leaves his bats here. Do you want to come here? I say no more. I said, let me know when you leave. So Tex left, left his bats in my buddy's office. So I drove down there, took a bunch of measurements, stuff off his bats, or, you know, went back made two bats for him and went, you know, the next day went and just left them next to his bats. So my buddy calls me and he's like, hey, Tex is using the bats right now. So it's all right. He calls me afterwards. He said he loves them, you know, wants to meet you. So all right. So the next day I drove down there, met with Tex and just kind of picking his brain what he, th- what he thought. And he's like, they feel great. Um, go to spring training. Uh, so now, again, being a Yankee fan, mm-hmm. Went to the Yankees first. I'm like, you know, it's, one, it's the closest team to my house. So, and two, just being a huge fan all these years. So, I, but talking to people are like, don't even bother with the Yankees. Like Fort Knox, there, they're not gonna let you in. Like you're a new back company. Like don't even bother. I got the golden ticket. But, right? yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, you know, I didn't listen to a lot back then. You know, <laughs> so uh, so I went down a week early to spring training, and just made my rounds around, you know, to, down around Florida to all the different sites just to meet the clubhouse manager. This is before most of the players even reported. Mm-hmm. And that helped out a lot. So I kind of went to the Yankees first and uh, met, met their clubhouse manager, Rob Kakuza, and we talked and kind of verified that I was on the MLB approval list. And he said, I'll tell you what, he said, you know, players report next Monday. You can be day one. He's like, come, come in Monday and the floor is yours. You know, all the guys are getting ready, bring, mm-hmm. you know, your bats, show them the guys. Said, all right. So the, the remainder of that week, I kind of went all, all different sites, went back to Tampa that Monday, and I show up there, and I just brought, like, two huge duffel bags. I probably had 150 bats in, like, these two bags with me. I literally just dragged them to the middle of the floor in Yankees Clubhouse and happened to be right in front of Nick Swisher's locker. But uh, but when I walked in, uh, Rob, their club, he says, dude, who are you? I, I said, what do you mean? I met you last week. He's like, I know. I never heard heard of you before last week. I got seven guys asking for your bats right now. He's like, "How did you do that?" I, 
Central Illinois. So other than Tex, he's the only one here. So mm-hmm. it was Tex was telling all these like you got to try these bats. They're really hard. Like you know they feel great. So I kind of walked into the Yankees like Swisher was like on us like right away and we started making him bats and he ended up being like our first kind of big name guy that really kind of gave us a shot and using him on a daily basis. Tex never once ordered our bats. Wow. Never once, right? So it was like, yeah, he loved them. And, and so kind of talked to him a few times. And, and now it's like right, right before the All-Star break of that year. So we're almost halfway through the year and saw him in the Yankee clubhouse. I'm like, Tex, not for nothing. Like, you tell me you love the bats. He's like, I, I do. I use them every day in BP. I said, right, I'm not interested in making your BP bat. Yeah. Like, well, how can we make your, 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 your game bat? He's like, all right, I'll tell you what. It's a different model than, than what you replicated for me. Here's, here's my game bat. If I like it, I'll use it. It's all right. So take it back to my shop, replicate it, bring two back to him. And uh, he goes, remember, if I like it, I'll use it in the game. I said, all right. So I go, you know, drive back Just home. Tuning in. Watching on TV. <laughs> sure enough, his first at bat, he's using our bat. I said, all right, he must have liked it. First pitch, slider in the dirt. He's like, ass out, like in front swing, let's go with the bat, flies into the stand. <laughs> and Spike Lee catches it. So we're like at least trending on number one for Yahoo for the day because Spike Lee ended up catching our yeah. bat. And like, it was a great shot of him. But Tex never picked us up again after that. So we had like that one shot, that one swing didn't work. And like, like to your point, like you're, you were up against superstition all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it works for, in our favor, sometimes it doesn't. So, um, just the nature of the business. You you said something before just about the, the hardness of the bat, right? I know that was a big selling point, too. We were down in spring training that year, too. So talk, talk yeah. about that a little bit. Yeah, so, uh, again, as a player, when I played, I would take all the bats I ordered. And, and this was, you know, early on in my, my early career, I wasn't able to order, you know, custom bats. It was just whatever they had in the stock room. Mm-hmm. So I'd take my, you know, six bats and bring them back to my partner, sand, sand all the finish down, and then uh, – Went to a butcher, got a, a femur bone from a cow, boiled all the meat off it, and would sit there and, and rub the bats and try to compress the wood. Um, now, you know, and I did that to every bat I've ever used. And then I started ordering my bats unfinished so I wouldn't have to spend the time sanding them down. But kind of did this throughout my career and can totally feel a difference. But like before it's at that, you know, it, it, it's called boned, right? So, so it's just a term everybody using baseball is boned. Um, before and after so now making it on my own and i always said i wish there was a company to to like that would just do this for you instead of me having to sand them down and do this and so when i started you know making them and i got the lathe set up it was really important for me to kind of make these bats you know pre-hardened like how am i going to compress this Mm -hmm. wood and make it harder uh so did the same thing went to the butcher got a bone boiled the meat off it and when we tried to kind of apply that pressure now under the rpms of adding a machine it was just too much friction. The bone would like burn, like so. It didn't really work and do what I wanted it to do. Um, and so I always had a gym at my house, and so kind of went down to to my gym and I had a lat pull down bar and grabbed that and was able to put a lot more pressure on it and and kind of coined the phrase steel burnished, right? So mm-hmm. now now we say our bats are steel burnished, which now we're taking this steel and and compressing it beyond anything I was able to do before the machinery. And that kind of became like our calling card, right? That was like what made us different and what made us stand out. Um, was that something that all players did? Like, or It was kind of common. I wouldn't say all players did it, but it was kind of common practice. Guys would like, you know, do it on a sink, right? They'd take mm-hmm. the bats in the bathroom, in the locker room, and try to, you know, on the porcelain of the sink and, and, and try to compress it. 
they weren't sanding them down like I was doing it. Mm -hmm. Like like without sanding it, you're really not doing anything in all honesty. But well, um, I remember some guys too. That's like they'll they'll swing it in the cage for you know four or five days just to harden just to try, just to like, try yeah, yeah take yeah, a, you know as much of that dent you know get rid of all that denting that's going to happen. Yeah. And like for us, that's like the biggest thing we're trying to eliminate, right? Can we eliminate those seam marks that are embedded in the bat upon contact? Because that's just energy being absorbed into the bat, right? We want that to be as hard as possible to to kind of return all that energy into back into the ball. Yeah. Why do you think another company that that's a they do flying bats, right? So <laughs> yeah, why why don't you think that that was something that they picked up on? Was it because they their leadership wasn't ingrained in the there sport? There was one, there was one company. Uh, when Marucci first started, they were like the first ones to kind of hit the market. But this is after I got out of playing, uh, where they were like the first bone rubbed uh, bat. And so there was a company starting to do it, but again, they weren't doing it under like the pressure of like the machine, like, mm -hmm. you know, under the RPM. So they were doing it much in the same way we as players were doing it. As far as I know, we were the first ones to kind of add steel to it and, and call it steel burnished and other companies that follow suit now. We were going to try to uh, do a patent on it at the time, a uh, process patent. Mm -hmm. But talking to, you know, different process attorneys, and it's so easy to circumvent that, that you're just kind of throwing money down the drain. That, yeah. And that those days it was money we didn't have. So um, it really didn't make sense to kind of go down that road. It kind of made more sense to kind of brand ourselves as the original steel press or steel burnished back company. Yeah, own the process, and you're known for it. Yeah. So... So Pete, we from uh, wood bats to uh, protective equipment. That's <laughs> big yeah, job, right? Yeah. So, um, so now with our 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 kind of you know things happen over the last few years, and and kind of partnered with uh, Shut Sports and uh, who's on the football side, and now our our parent company is Surtor Sports, um, and so they own two fo football brands, Shut Shut and Vices. And Tucci is the, is the baseball brand under that umbrella. Um, and we have a tremendous team now of engineers uh, out in Seattle that, I mean, make the best protective equipment known to in any sports, right? Like, I think we have the top five rated football helmets on, on the market. Um, and so kind of having that in, in my back pocket would be kind of foolish not to utilize it, right? You know, like, obviously, there's a lot of protection needed in baseball from batting helmets to batters. Uh, protective equipment which is kind of boomed over the last 10 years like I mean, you go to a, you go to a tournament yeah. now and there's not a kid around that does not wear an elbow guard or a shin guard yeah. so um but kind of being able to bring something fresh and new to that market um you know is kind of i think needed right there's you know there's you know a predominant player in that market space that kind of dominates it and then there's a lot of knockoffs that kind of look almost exactly like it, right? And so how can we bring something fresh that one performs better, two is a little bit lighter, and three is a lot more customizable, right? And so that's kind of what we brought to the table with, with the batter's protection. Our batting helmet is the lightest batting helmet on the market, right? So how can we shrink the profile? Uh, again, uh, baseball and football, you know, they, they come obviously originally from the, in the football world. Football is highly protective right how much how great can we protect the head of a football player especially you know after all the you know kind of cte issues yeah. and concussions that were popping up you know 10 years ago and so you saw these numbers kind of decline in in youth football and so they've made unbelievable strides in in uh in that world mm -hmm. 
Well, baseball's different, right? Uh, there's not really a hitter worth his salt who thinks he's going to get hit in the head or even worries about it because he's not going to be able to be a very good hitter. So the biggest thing in baseball happened to be how good do I look in the helmet and how well does it feel, right? Mm-hmm. And so those are like issues we had to address against other other helmets on the market, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of the helmets are, are really big, especially on the younger players. It's just, you know, like bobbleheads. Yeah, 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 like, you know, exactly. and so how can we – how can we still be that ultra protective company and still give you the, the best protection, but in a really sleek package and, and really profiled look and kind of give you more of that big league feel? If you notice, like the helmets that players wear in Major League Baseball doesn't look like the same helmets that you know minor leaguers wear, even though it's the same technically model. Once you add that double ear flap, and it just gives it a whole different look. But how can we how can we still have that MLB kind of sleek profile look? on a double ear flap helmet that's meant for the masses, you know, in, in the amateur market. And so our engineers kind of were able to use some of the proprietary forms that they use in, in some of their football helmets and our in our batting helmets and kind of uh, lighten it. And so now we have this really cool looking, uh, very sleek, um, light, highly protective batting helmet that I think we're gonna do real well with. Yeah. So it's, a, you know, it's exciting now finally yeah. having, you know, I think we were talking before, having something too new to talk about, right? So so as much as I love wood bats and, and you know, I go back to those days in, in my garage when I was, you know, those 2, 3 a.m., you know, sitting there whittling wood bats down, what I ultimately wanted out of this whole thing. And it was never just to be a wood bat company. I always wanted, I always kind of saw this being a more baseball equipment brand, right? Yeah. And it kind of... Um, what we could bring to the table from from all aspects and how we can help in, in that area. So um, starting to see that come to fruition is, is very exciting now. Talk about the, how did you know that it was time, right? It's like, okay, I've got, I, I got the wood bat thing down, Major League Baseball, we've got the players using it. It's, people know the brand a little bit more now. What, what were some of the things that like led to the jump? Where it's like, okay, how did you start to partner? Why did you re- create that relationship with the on the other side with the uh, now with the composite bats, the, uh, the the protective gear, all that? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, it was. I kind of felt like around 2018 was around the time, right? We started getting. It's kind of like cult light following, right? We kind of became this like really niche brand that was really big in MLB, and we weren't like your. Louisville Sluggers, right? We weren't in every sports store around the country, and we still aren't. You know what I mean? Like, we're not like that in-your-face brand where everybody knows it. But if you're in the know, you're in the know, right? So if you're that elite kid and you're in the perfect game world and and you know what MLB guys are swinging, you know who we are, right? And so we kind of became this, like, niche little, like, high-end baseball brand. Um, and so 2018, we started, you know, 17, 18, we started getting – requests for when you guys, you know, have you ever thought about coming out with BB Core when you're coming out with BB Core? And again, it was always something that I kind of had in my mind to eventually get into. Um, just from a business standpoint, it's the largest part of the market, right? You know, just to give you an example, you know, you do profit, wood bat profit margins are slim, right? It's, it's a tough business to, you know, you really got to keep things tight to make it profitable because, there's a ceiling on what people are willing to pay. And even though we're at the top of that ceiling, like as far as our price points, because we put every ounce of what we can do into a bat to make it, you know, as I, you know, from using the best wood to the best finishes to the best processes. Well, I remember the day you um, told me that just the, the piece of wood alone, it's like you need a whole warehouse full of them. You're like, yeah, yeah those are like 60 bucks a piece. And yeah, I'm like, so, yeah. <laughs> so the raw material is yeah. like really expensive. Uh, so that's, you're, that's what you're up against. You're up against this really expensive raw material 
um, and what people are willing to pay for a product that probably is going to break at some point. If you're, if you're playing <laughs> enough, um, you know, and at a high enough competition, like as much as we want to make an unbreakable wood bat, you know, I, I tell every dad who, you know, is his bat going to break? I said, well, listen, I can guarantee you I'll make a bat your son will never break, but I can also guarantee you're probably not going to get a lot of hits with it because <laughs> it's going to be way too heavy or, yeah. you know, like it, it's a sliding scale of, you know, it's what's going to play best for your kid and, and how durable it's going to be. So you're kind of up against that in the wood game. On the BB core side and on the aluminum composite side, it's much more traditional as far as like, okay, we have a cost and, and this is what we could bring it in for and this is what we could retail it for. And that ceiling's obviously a lot higher because it's typically a product that lasts longer. There's a lot more technology goes into it. So, um, you know, from a, a business standpoint. of it too. Yeah, and, and there's a lot more kids who obviously use alloy and composite bats, right? So um, from a business standpoint, it made sense to get into that market. Doesn't make sense for everybody because do you have a credible enough name to do it? And then what are you bringing new to the table, right? So that was another thing I didn't want. I don't want like an OEM product that we just kind of went to a factory overseas and said, what do you have that nobody's using? Slap our name on it and kind of run it out to market and see what happens. So it was really important to have our own team of engineers to kind of be behind it and bring something new to the table. So for instance, two of our engineers came from Washington State University. They were actually the engineers that are administering the BB core tests for, for a number of years out of Washington State University. So they have firsthand knowledge of what they were seeing, what was working well for companies, what wasn't, and kind of take a lot of that knowledge now and, and kind of apply it to what, you know, we think is one of the, you know, eventually going to be one of the leaders in, in the bat world. And, um, you know, so this is, you know, it kind of, you know, it was, it was important for me to have that. And it was important for me to not um, feel like we were kind of dipping our toes into those waters, right? We didn't want to be like companies like, oh, let's try this and see what happens. And then if it, Ah, it didn't work. We pulled back off the market. No, like we, we jumped in with two feet and like we're all in. Like I said, we have an entire bat lab out in Seattle with a team of engineers that are working on this stuff every day. Um, so we're here to stay. Like we're here to to make a splash in this market and and hopefully be a major player in, in this market in the next coming years. Yeah, there's no doubt. Tell the um, how did you establish that relationship? Did you go? Did you approach them or did they? Come they to actually you? called me. So. Um, we kind of fit what they were looking for. They, you know, at that time, Shut had uh, a baseball line on the market, and and they really made a niche for themselves in the world of women's softball. And and, and they're they're like a prominent helmet, especially down south, uh, in in the women's fast pitch world. Um, outside of that, they weren't. You know, they have tried to they tried to introduce bats to the market, uh, never really took off. They tried to introduce gloves to the market, all under the Shut brand, but ultimately. We're kind of viewed in the market as it's a football company trying to mm. trying to get into the baseball space, and um, they had credibility in the protection world because you know where they come from in, in in football. And so I think the kind of the market kind of conceded like, all right, we'll we'll let you have it. like we understand your your you know have some credibility there, but when it comes to the other stuff, like no, like we're we're not going to buy that. So they kind of had this issue that they kind of felt like they grew the, that side of the business as far as they could, and they really couldn't bring anything else to it under that brand. And so we kind of, you know, we're doing what we were doing. We're predominantly, again, and most of our sales are going to Major League Baseball. We had this upper echelon of the best players in the world swinging our bats. Um, and we're kind of, again, creating this really niche kind of brand name among amateur players around the country who, again, were in the know, right? Like, you know, they're big into baseball and – 
Um, and so they had gotten, you know, a couple of guys who they, you know, when they'd ask around who somebody need to talk to, my name kept coming up. And so their CEO at the time called me and said, would you, you know, be interested in kind of partnering and, and taking over our baseball line under the Tucci brand? And so uh, we ended up coming to an agreement at the end of 2018. Was your answer like, yeah, of course. No, uh, <laughs> no, no, no I don't. My answer it first wasn't was, right? yeah. originally was like, no, no like, yeah. like, I was like, no, I'm going to do this on my own, you know? So um, I wasn't even really entertaining it at that time. But the more he talked, it made sense. And, and kind of, I felt like our companies kind of fit like this piece of the puzzle. We, we brought what they didn't have, which was credibility in that space. And they brought what I didn't have. I didn't have a sales force and, um, you know, we had, you know, we have Distribu- taken on some, some, some investment money, but yeah, we, you know, we didn't have distribution levels and, you know, capital, you know, structure wasn't where it needed to be to, in order to grow at the pace we wanted to grow. And so they brought a lot of stuff to the table that we needed. We brought stuff to the table they needed. And so it kind of made this uh, kind of perfect marriage, so to speak. And, and um, you know, shortly after COVID hit and we've had issues with that. So that kind of delayed things, but all in all, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of mm-hmm. where we are now is where I anticipated being maybe a few years ago, but we're here now. So uh, I'm grateful for that and, and excited for it. A good thing you kept the Tucci name, right? Very- <laughs> so, yeah, yeah uh, you know, we had some, uh, we had a little logo issue a few years ago. On, uh, you know, that was... I didn't get to do everything. Well, I mean, you're talking about so the we, size of the the label on the yeah. mat and things like that. I mean, you're right. It's like you don't think about those things until you're watching somebody on TV and you're like, yeah, I can't see the logo. Yeah. So <laughs> um, it's interesting because I think you know, having no context before you know we were sort of talking you know about getting ready for today. I, I don't know that I ever gave it thought. I feel like I've thought that there's just a room of bats that you know the team buys and you kind of go in and you just grab what feels good and, you know, kind of just keep mountain breaks. You go get another one. And, you know, I think that getting familiar to understand how custom it is and how kind of player oriented it should be. Right. And and it seemed like that was the biggest gap that you noticed was that it really wasn't. And that, you know, contributing to injury and, you know, the customization of the swings and stuff that we were talking about earlier, it seems like that was something you realized and that was what really you came back to change you know pretty yeah that's what i kind of noticed the market was missing as a player Mm -hmm. and then when i came back um something i again to your point set out to change but it was apparent that there was other companies doing this now right it Mm -hmm. was i I wouldn't say i was the first one now kind of doing this like the market had changed in my time kind of being uh, you know, from being a player to now, now back in the clubhouse on that aspect. So, um, so my time as a player really didn't prepare me for that other than the fact that it opened my eyes to what was needed in the market, you know, at that level, especially. It seems like your instinct as a player though, and your interest in the details and the performance and the specifications of what could make you better ultimately came together for this though, because you have the player experience, what they're looking for, the every element of the customization piece, you know, and then when it came to rolling and and ensuring that it was gonna be hardened, right? All of those things did ultimately kind of come together. Maybe, maybe subconsciously, right? But that's, 
Yeah, and even even my time in again in the air conditioning and heating field, mm -hmm. right? Like all like it really needed like all of that to kind of end up like to kind of make this product that from day one was accepted in Major League Baseball, like like right out of the gate, right? Like we, like I said, we hit the ground running in MLB mm -hmm. like year one. So yeah, I think I think all of that needed to happen to even I think even lead me to the realization that this was something I wanted to do. That that hyper awareness, right? You know to. I'm not a good baseball player, never have been, right? So, um, uh, but the instinct and picking up on every subtlety and as as a, a batter, you're looking at cues and you're looking for, you know, um, arm angle and rotation and, you know, anything that you can pick up to get an advantage. And it seems like that's really what you converted very successfully, yeah. right, to understand how to, really take advantage of the marketplace. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a lot of those kind of like attention to detail, like, and all that, right, to your point, like as a player, again, going back to the fact that um, I never want to leave any stone unturned, like, mm -hmm. or like I'm going to do everything I possibly can to get to the big leagues, um, you know, and, and now taking that same approach, like, oh, I'm going to do everything I can to make this successful, and what can I do different, what can I do better uh, on a daily basis, right, how can I be better at what I do, and and what stone am I leaving unturned? And I'm sure there's some now that I've still yet to figure out that we're going to continue to try to get better at, especially now with the other products, like how can we get better at that stuff? But um, you had sort of opened up and you talked about the feeling of failure. I think maybe we'd question that there's, you know, any personal failure that you should be shouldered with, but obviously everyone handles that a bit differently. <laughs> Is there... What will wipe that out? What what what's next? What do you want to accomplish? Where I, where I view like everything as a success, because I'll be honest, mm -hmm. with you, I still don't view what I do as a success. I still view it as a work in pro in progress. You know what I mean? And I don't know if I'll ever get over that. In all honesty, I don't know if I'll ever be able to say, you know what, my life turned out to this. I'm still always going to wish I played major league baseball. Like that's mm -hmm. just the reality I live in every day. Like you know, I watch guys on TV and. You know, there's a lot of envy that goes on because, like, man, I wish I could have got there, you know. And it, in my heart of hearts, feel like I was good enough to get there. And I, you know, kind of put myself in a position to get there. And, you know, obviously injuries happen and things happen. But, um, yeah, just, I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever get yeah. over it, but I just learned to live with it. But you still get to go to the clubhouse, be in the yeah, dugout. Yeah, still get to, you know, exactly. That's why, you know what, that's college, why he was, that's yeah, why he right. gave away <laughs> the other jobs and maintained the one where yeah, he gets I to mean, be. <laughs> sure, I'll probably be in clubhouses long, you know, a lot longer now than I would ever have been had I just been a player, right? right. So, um, yeah, probably at this rate, I would have been out of clubhouses if I was lucky 10 years ago. So, still kicking around with the mass. Right? So, yeah, so. Out. And you got to go to the College World Series. Come yeah, on. That, yeah, that was exciting. Yeah. Um, Going to Omaha and like that'll be something we probably are going to be a part of for like for years to come. That was and that I mean that LSU team this year. Oh my god! All right, stacked. I'll tell you what really opens your eyes is just like how much the baseball world, just the sport itself evolved. I'm not don't really consider myself that small of a guy. I have a picture of Wake Forest came through our booth. I'm literally the smallest guy, and there's like 16 guys in the photo, and I'm the smallest one. I mean, these guys are all six four, six five, like. My so God, you definitely man. would not still be in the clubhouse. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would have yeah. went away a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> All 
Are there frontiers left in the bat space that you want to conquer? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, there's a new league that now popped up in, uh, you know, in the Middle East. I don't know if you guys saw anything on that. Like, Cano uh, just got drafted. I just saw that, yeah. Sandoval and Bartolo Colon. Just Bartolo Colon like, signed yeah. another contract, yeah. So, uh, you know, so listen, there's opportunities there. There's opp- you know, there's still professional leagues. Like, you know, we used to do some stuff with Korea. We're looking to get back into okay. that market. Um, Taiwan, uh, we're, we're in talks with... Um, a group out there to, to become like our, our reps and our dealers out in Taiwan. So, um, yeah, there's definitely untapped markets that we still have to explore. I mean, we're by no means at the top and even just here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're always still looking to climb that next rung on the ladder. We talked about how to end these kind of moving forward, and, and we hope that the conversation goes places where other interviews or other podcasts that you've done, you know, go. So – one kind of putting us on the spot you know did this bring up anything about the journey that you might not have yeah. realized before or thought about before uh, again a lot of talking about like the failures that I've, you know what i mean it's not typically something you talk about like in a typical interview you're talking about oh here's the new stuff we have coming out here's our website you know and but kind of just getting deeper into kind of like my mindset throughout the years and, and that kind of stuff um just this whole uh you know kind of platform and Mm. and just like you know the time you know just the time we spent talking and that kind of stuff is different than almost any other interview i've ever done let's grab in we you know we appreciate that and and i think what we want to ultimately do is try and not bottle it up but learn from it right because the the continued picking your head up and driving forward and you know that that insight into what gave you that will to 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 push on and try the next thing and yeah. and kind of call on experiences and say I can work with this and I can repurpose this and I can evolve right and and what kind of gives you or gives people the the personal moment where they say this is going to work right and others probably said what are you making bats for yeah. right oh. <laughs> uh, so that's that's what we want to get to and you know we'll definitely do the plug if you want to give the website and everything else. Right. <laughs> right. <Tucci-limited.com laughs> if you want to check out uh, all the new products and stuff we have um yeah but i mean to that point you know it's you know what keeps driving you forward listen i'd lie if i said you know every day i wake up and you know as much as i love listening to uh you know goggins and, and you know uh you know those guys it's like do i wake up with that attitude every day no there's some days i wake up and i'm like what am i doing like making all the wrong decisions and like, you know, there's self-doubt creeps in constantly. And, um, you know, and as much as you tell yourself, like, I'm going to make this work, there's days you wake up like, man, this might not work out, Mm -hmm. but show up every day anyway. You know what I mean? And like, I think probably more than anything I've taken away from like my career, like baseball, not only baseball, but all sports. And even like what I try to instill in my kids today is like, there's days you don't want to do it. It's like, who who are the guys are going to show up on those days? Mm-hmm. Those are the guys that's going to get stuff done, right? Like, it's easy to get stuff done when you're excited. It's easy when it's new. And, and like I was first saying, you know, that first year in MLB baseball was easy. Like, when it becomes tedious, when it, you know, when you're not talking to a major leaguer and you, you know, need to fly somewhere and go talk to a team of 10-year-olds, like, and, and that's what we're doing now, right? And, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you need to show up every day whether you – want to or not and like that whole point of like not quitting and, and not kind of succumbing to that uh, 
you know, for me is like, if I had to say there's one quality about me that has kind of helped me to get where I am, it's, it's, it's probably that, right? Mm -hmm. Like come hell or high water, I'm going to be there. So I may not be right. I may, I may make, may make a mistake. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'll show up. Is, is there something you do that you did when you were playing when on those days you had a rough, rough game, you know, the night before you got to get back in the mindset or you wake up and you're not feeling it. Like, is there some ritual sure. or some routine, right? That gets you in. I'm sure. There that. is it's probably subconscious though. I, I, I'll be honest. There's, it's not like a, yeah, I don't have this like morning routine that I like stick to and it's not um, like sock, sock, shoe, shoe. Or yeah. Like, or like, all right, you know, I take I take <laughs> a shower like one song or something, like, right. You know, that gets you in the, gets um, you in the zone. No, if I had to say anything, it's not like a morning routine. It's when I feel I need to take a second and just chill out by myself and just kind of like be alone with my thoughts, like I'll do that. And it, mm -hmm. a lot of times ends up being probably at the detriment of like my sleeping pattern. But a lot of times I find that being like two, three in the morning. Well, it's if I had a routine, <laughs> it's probably, I probably don't go to sleep until about 5 a.m. So, um, I just spent a lot of those out, you know, I, I think like when, especially when you have to deal with people like on, on such a large part of your day, you do need that time to just be alone. And I almost feel like I sacrificed sleep time mm -hmm. to just get enough time to collect my thoughts and, and, and kind of, kind of just be in that moment as opposed to just you know, like, I almost feel like in those moments, I'd almost be losing out if I was sleeping through them, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. You yeah, know what I mean? So, absolutely. Um, that's probably like the one thing I would say, like, you know, which helps me to show up each day is kind of getting that time to yourself again, even if it's at the detriment of my sleep. So we'll just kind of enclose it. You had talked about the really fun times and great times and what you learned from your brother-in-law and some of the ways in which he was the operator and, you know, had more of the traditional business background where you're at now. Is there anything you wish you could ask him about, you know, how to think about next steps and uh a little about that i think i'd if i had to ask him anything i would ask him uh if he's proud of what i've kind of started and and kind of even though i kind of let that business that we had kind of die down but taking like his legacy and what he taught me and applying it to something else um you know it's it's kind of funny about a month before he passed we were in the attic fixing someone's air conditioning and this, you know, I'd already started my bat business was doing it again, was at a point where I was just doing it like on the side and, and, uh, he was joking around and, and saying, you know what, we, we've done it my way for, for long enough. He goes, let's, let's just go into the bat business. He's like, let's, he goes, I'll, I'll follow you for a while. That was all the permission so, you needed. Uh, so that was kind yeah. of cool. But, uh, yeah, it was kind of like his gift to me was to kind of leave me, I think with that kind of last impression that. I think he would be. You know, be I think proud. he would be proud. And, be uh, proud. But, but just how much what he taught me in those in those years together led to the successes that you know I've had in this business. Yeah, his picture hangs in my. You know, when you walk in my office, his picture still up. So, uh, no, we were real close. Like I said, he, my brother-in-law, but we were more like brothers mm -hmm. than than anything. But he'd be proud. He would. Pete, it's a great story. That's why I appreciate it. I, uh, when we decided we were going to do this podcast, I was like, I know someone. And now uh, you're the first one I thought of. So I appreciate you doing this. Well, I appreciate it, man. This has been great. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, good luck with everything, guys. Thank you. Yeah, man.